All right. All right, let's um, get into our message. Today we are doing part two um, of our family series. Right now we are in a sermon series on discipling culture. And the first of the seven mountains that we're talking about is family. So today is going to be our second and final um, message on the family. So I am trying to cover like a ton of material in these in these sermons because I'm only giving two messages, you know, per mountain, which is really not enough. Um, but it, this is really an overview in my heart. My hope is that this would provoke you to want to understand these aspects of the kingdom and that you would be provoked to learn and to study and seek the Lord for revelation on your own. Uh, but that being said, I am going to throw a lot of stuff at you. There's a lot of information, and my prayer is that it goes in because we need a church that will rise up and understand that we are in a spiritual war. This is what we're doing. We're out to disciple nations, but we have to fight for that discipleship. Guess what? There's an enemy that wants to kill, steal, and destroy you and everything that God wants to do in your life. He wants to destroy our nation. He wants to destroy the families in America. This is something that the Lord told me. He rebuked me one day when I was a, a, a nice single man, and I was praying one day, and the Lord said, Dennis, if you want to get married, you have to seek it. And I was like, what do you mean? Isn't God, aren't you just going to bring... Mrs. Perfect to me one day when the time is right and we'll fall in love and we'll live happily ever after. That was my understanding of how this works. And I thought the Lord rebuked me and he said, no, that's not how it works. Marriage is a blessing. And guess what? There's an enemy that wants to kill every blessing in your life. He wants to destroy every blessing. So when we have this mentality that, oh, it's just going to happen, good things are just going to happen, guess what? That is not the world that you live in. You're living in a spiritual fantasy land. Okay, the reality is that every good thing in your life must be fought for and has, you have to choose to trust and obey the Lord to receive the blessing. And guess what? There's an enemy that's going to try and deceive you and is absolutely right now deceiving millions and billions of people all across the world. This is why we have to fight for our blessings. This is why we have to fight to understand the word of God. This is why we have to contend for these things. And we need a church that will rise up in this generation and get rid of all the fatalistic mentality that makes you not engage in the spiritual war. The Bible warns us over and over again. The devil is prowling like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Oh, but I'm cool. I'm just chilling. I don't ever really fight the devil. That's because you're so busy getting beat up by him that you don't realize that you have to swing that sword. Okay, God didn't give you a spiritual sword just for it to chill in your sheath. Some of us Man, we've been going to church, you've been hearing Bible lessons every Sunday for years and years and years, and you have this spiritual sword that never leaves your sheath. It just sits right there, and the devil beats you up all the time. you got to start swinging that thing. Why? Because you have to win personal victories before you can have authority to win corporate victories for the nation. You've got to overcome yourself to be able to have authority to contend for others. You can only give what you receive. It doesn't matter how many Bible verses you know. It's the Bible verses that you believed and that you contended for and you got authority in your personal life. Those are the ones that you have authority to set other people free with. That's when you have conviction and power. Am I making sense? And we are in a war. We're in a war for our nation. And this is my heart. When we, you know, we just had our Wellspring prayer meeting last night, and every time my heart is overflowing with this desire, God, turn back the nation. Turn the nation to you again. This is my heart. We need Christians who will be able to see the spiritual battle that we're in and engage in it. Because I want to say this, that the sad reality is that the majority of Christians in the world today, and especially in the West, are spiritually asleep. They think they've punched their tickets to heaven, and then they're just good. They're just trying to be good people and not make God too mad. But I want to say that is not the paradigm that we get. We're to walk circumspectly in this earth knowing that the days are evil. We're to contend for the things of the kingdom, to disciple the nations, to fight for what is good. This is, this is our spiritual calling, and we need to engage with it. Amen? Okay, that was all just a little bit of intro. All right, real quick, a news segment today. Trade war with China. I don't know if you guys have been paying attention to this. President Trump enacted a $15 billion in tariffs 
um, on Chinese goods for trade imbalance and stealing intellectual property. In retaliation, the Chinese government said that they're going to, you know, stick us with 50 billion in tariffs. If you don't know what a tariff is, it's a tax on imported goods, right? So China makes stuff, they ship it to the U.S., and then we go, okay, we're going to tax you, right, on this. Why? Because it helps our domestic companies, you know, they get, they're cheaper compared to the foreign products. Okay, um, this is, this is, a trade war that's going on in retaliation to that, Trump has now threatened $100 billion more in tariffs, okay? So this um, this is causing the stock markets to kind of go crazy, and this could have um, a bad effect on our economy in the near future. Now, I want to be totally honest about this. I am really not an expert on tariffs. The, the conventional wisdom accepted by really both Democrats and Republicans in the recent past is that free trade is the way to go. We've all been for free trade recently. I've just kind of taken it for granted. Yeah, free trade, that's not a battle that we really have to fight right now because both sides kind of agree on it. Well, President Trump does not agree on this, okay? He has decided to go all out in economic warfare here. And to be honest, I'm just not familiar enough with it to know whether it's wise because I've never been challenged with this. How many of you guys know that the way you grow in wisdom is you get challenged by somebody? That's how this works, right? I remember when I went to Berkeley, I started talking to some other Christians there. I was like, yeah, we need to pray, we need to cast out demons, we need to pray, you know, all day long. And some person looked at me like, are you crazy? Are you one of those demonic, charismatic Christians? And I was like, what's that? I was like, what, what the heck is that? And she was like, oh, you're talking about tongues, right? Do you believe, you know that's demonic, don't you? I was like, you don't pray in tongues? What kind of crazy Christian are you? This is when I learned, I realized, right, that there were all these Christians who were not charismatic, and guess what? They had some Bible verses to throw at me. And so guess what I had to do? I had to study and be like, okay, wait a second, right? What does the Bible actually say about that? I got challenged. What it did was it forced me to go and learn and study and grow in wisdom and understanding. Am I making sense? So I say this about terrorists because just being honest, I've never really been challenged with this, so I've never taken the time to really investigate this in a deep way. But what I will say is this. Jeremiah Johnson, um, many of you guys, I forward some of his posts on Facebook. I think he's one of the rising prophetic voices in America today. For those of you who are unfamiliar with him, he, um, he prophesied. He was one of the, the few prophetic voices that accurately prophesied that Trump would be elected. Okay, years before, maybe about a year before it happened. And um, after Trump, Trump was elected, but before he entered into office, he gave this word. This is in November 2016. He said, during Donald Trump's presidency, he will not only be a thorn in the side of China, but also a bull to their shop, their economy. The Lord continued, the bullies, China, will lock horns with the bull, Donald, and it will cause great tension and strife among the nations. Okay, so this trade war that we're seeing was basically prophesied by Jeremiah Johnson back in November 2016 of, as, as being the precursor to some strife between the nations. So I just want to say this. If you're paying attention to the right prophetic voices, oftentimes you're not surprised by a lot of these developments. Okay, there are prophets who do know what they're talking about. Now, there's a lot of prophets that I, I, I don't trust that much, um, but I do recommend Jeremiah Johnson. I think he's a pretty trustworthy source right now. So you can, you can just like him on Facebook and you'll get his stuff, and you'll get rebuked all day long. That guy... <laughs> As a prophet, man, they just re they love rebuking. All right, next slide. Let's just do a little bit of a review um, because this was two weeks ago that we launched um, into this series. Okay, here's the deal. Many Christians lose their passion after college because they don't know how to seek the kingdom at their workplace. But the reality is the kingdom of God is bigger than the church organization. You're supposed to be bringing the kingdom of God out of here and into the world. The problem is most Christians have no idea how to do that. So they just volunteer more at church. Right? Now, I love that heart. That's a good heart. But it's not ideal. Why? Because it's your job to disciple the nations. This is what you're to be about. So we have to be, have understanding on what the kingdom looks like outside of the church if we're going to effectively do what Jesus is calling us to do. Amen? All right, the kingdom is primarily spiritual. We are in a spiritual war, and we must ask 
God to open our spiritual eyes and ears so that we can engage. This is not a small point in Scripture. Jesus is always, he's contending with them. He's saying, he who has ears, let them hear. He's not talking about physical ears. He's talking about spiritual ears. In Revelation, it says, hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. We have to be able to hear his voice or we're going to be lost with what God is doing in the nations. We're going to feel like he's not doing much. But I want to say, if our ears are open, then we're in tune with what the Spirit is doing. We get caught up in what God is doing in the nations. It becomes the driving force of our lives, and our lives take on a holy purpose and a mission. And this is the calling for all of us who are in Christ. But if you don't seek the Lord for open spiritual ears, then you just live in ignorance. Right? It's just like you're just worried about your own little world. Right? I'll put it to you like this. If, you, if your prayer life is just about your world, right? God, help me pass this test, right? And help me love this person. And help me, you know, forgive. And those are good prayers. That's not a bad thing. But the problem with that is all those prayers are revolving around you, right? Now, it's important to pray for the things that are concerning you, but the reality is if you're engaged in God's purposes in the earth, you're praying for his purposes outside of your own situation. That's why when we pray at Wellspring, we always pray for the nations. We pray for America. We pray for the schools. Why? Because God has a desire for these things. Jesus wants the nations. It's his rightful inheritance. This is the thing he longs for, the obedience of the nations. He's been destined to have it, and that's why we're praying it in. We're coming into agreement with his desires, his longings, his passions. And when we come into agreement with that, what happens is God starts to share his secrets with us. Scriptures say that the Lord shares the secrets with those who fear him, right? Those who prioritize his kingdom, who seek his kingdom first, right? What happens? He begins to give us grace in our lives. Why? Because we've surrendered ourselves to his purposes. We've decided to put him on the throne of our lives and say, God, I'm not living for my glory anymore. I'm living for your glory. Now, can we be real that that does not describe many Christians today? That It just doesn't. And that's because most of the church is spiritually blind. They're too caught up with me and how God wants to bless me and how I can get him to, you know, do things for me. And look, God's loving. He's so loving that he oftentimes, he wants to meet or he, he wants us to be blessed. He wants us to know him, right? But the reality is we can't really get into the things of God until we surrender our lives to him and say, God, I'm about your business, right? I'm about your kingdom first right? Your priority. That's why we have to surrender our lives. We have to surrender our ambitions, surrender our careers, surrender our studies, surrender our relationships. We have to surrender it all or we don't get to experience the fullness of life in God. God will always seem distant. He'll always seem like he doesn't really answer your prayers. That's because you're still praying for your will be done. You start praying, God, your will be done. Right? You start to see God show up in your life because he wants, he wants to guide you in the calling that he has for you. It's his desire. But we're the ones, he expects us to be the ones to lay down our lives and to, and to follow him, to take up our crosses and to follow him. Amen? Okay. Two weeks ago, we started talking about family. We talked about the 1960s and how that decade in particular radically shifted the culture of America, right? It was a countercultural movement. The Black Power movement, the Civil Rights movement, the Free Love movement, the Drug movement, Vietnam anti-war movement. There were all of these movements. It was challenging traditional morality, challenging tradition, traditions in general, and saying, hey, Maybe we can rethink this. It was a postmodern movement of, of deconstructing boxes and say, well, you know, we don't really need those anymore. And then we talked about how in the kingdom's perspective, spouses are to prioritize God and wives are to submit to husbands and husbands are to love wives. Does this ring a bell a little bit? Joke them. Right? We... We touched on it just a little bit. Man, all of those points need like an entire sermon on their own, right? All those points need an entire sermon on their own. Let me just, there's so much I want to say. Okay. Sisters, I want to lovingly appeal to you. Submit to your husbands when you're married. Submit to your husbands as unto the Lord, okay? As unto the Lord. Why? Why? 
Because doing so shows faith and trust in God, and he will reward you and bless you at the judgment. And what you'll do is you'll put yourself in harmony, right, in a right posture for blessing. Does this make sense? Okay. It is the, it is, it is the, the second and third waves of feminism in America that basically told wives, no, you shouldn't be submitting to husbands. Right? No, you're, co you're completely equal, and you're the same in every way. You can play the same sports and do everything the same. And now the move is like there's zero difference between male and female. Right? What a load of garbage. What a load of garbage. Okay, it's not a question of who's better. That's not the question. Okay? But all of us are under authority. You know, sometimes I don't want to do what Pastor Kim tells me to do. <laughs> but guess what? I'm under authority. All of us are under authority. And when we honor those authorities, look, David honored Saul, not because Saul was so much more mature than him, but because the Lord had placed him under, right, so that his character could be formed in that season for the purpose that he had for him. And because he submitted to that process, he was able to hold great authority. Sisters, I need to tell you this. God is raising up women leaders in this generation. Hear me. There is going to be an unleashing of female leaders in this generation. But to have the character to be able to hold that authority, you're going to have to learn submission. Have to learn a spirit of submission. And guess how you learn that? You become submitted to somebody who's not perfect. That's how you learn submission. By saying, I know you're wrong on this. But Lord, I trust you. I trust you. Right? It's our impatience often. saying that defaults us from gaining godly character. It's our impatience. Those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. Right? Wait on him. Put your trust in him. Again, that really does need an entire sermon to do well. Give it to him, Jesus. Amen. Okay, next slide. Let's get into today's material. Okay, the kingdom, when we're talking about families, revolves around children. Say children. You want children. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Why? Because children are great treasures. Children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward from him. Oh, but I don't want kids. Let's get a puppy. Right? Let's get a puppy, right? That'll, that'll fulfill that part. No, then you're defaulting part of your mandate from God. Hear me. This is important. Now, I need to make a little bit of a caveat here. Because scripture does say that if you have the grace to be celibate, you should do it. It's better. Because you can give all of your attention and priority to the kingdom. Right? You don't have to worry about getting killed on the mission field and little kids like, no, daddy, right? You don't have to worry about that, right? You can go holy for the purposes of God. And what you can do is you can, you can effect great change in the lives of many people and you can, you can accrue great reward in the age to come. If you have the grace for celibacy, do it, okay? Do it. I tell everybody, surrender to celibacy. Surrender to it. Say, God, if you want me to be celibate, then I will be celibate. Surrender to it like that. By the way, did I mention that we have to make Jesus king and lord of our lives? Did, 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 has that been mentioned anytime? I hope so. Because sometimes people think, oh, Jesus, I'll give you everything. Except marriage, God. That's Right? A couple weeks ago I said, if man, if you're struggling with pornography, you can't get over it, and you're just, you just happen to be carrying a little porn shop in your pocket all the time, Right? You can switch to a flip phone. Right? And so it was like, oh, that, that's ridiculous, Pastor Dennis. I can't live without it. I'll give you my life, Lord, but not, not, a, not a flip phone. Right? It's the mentality we have. No, when he's Lord of your life, that means everything. That means everything. That, that's what it means. That's what it means. Right? Let's be honest with ourselves. If we have places where we absolutely will not trust him and we're not going to obey him, he is not Lord of our lives, right? That's just the truth. Now, the reality is God might provoke you and you might think he is and he'll show you an area of your heart that is unsurrendered. That's happened to me before, right? I think God gives us grace. It's not that we don't have any relationship with him if he's not completely Lord of our lives, right? But you have to understand the, the, 
the, what the Spirit is doing in our lives is taking us to deeper and deeper places of surrender and trust in Him. Right? This is His desire. Why? Because it's in the death that we experience the resurrection life. Right? It's only to the degree that we die to ourselves that we can experience the life of God. Okay? That's the principle. So when we're talking about children, what am I saying? I'm saying that God says they are a huge blessing. So if you have not been called to be celibate, and let me just be blunt about this, the vast majority of people who have told me that they think they might be celibate, it's fear issues. That's right. Right? If you don't, you know, you don't want to talk to any boys, maybe I'm just called to be celibate. No, maybe you got fear issues. Okay? Deal with your issues first, and then you can better discern, right, whether God's actually calling that for you. Does that make sense? But absolutely, I say all of us should surrender to it. But if he's not called you to, then plan on having children. Not just one or two. Oh, now we're getting real. Now we're getting real. What does Scripture say? Genesis 1.28. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. It's a mandate to humanity. This was the original command from God to all of humanity. Be fruitful and multiply and rule over the earth. In Judaism, they consider this a command from God. I think it's right. I think that's a right mentality, right? I think this is a command. It's a mandate from God for humanity to fill the earth and subdue it. Now, we're going to talk in a little bit about why it is that we should be having lots of babies, okay? But I do think that that is, generally speaking, that that is wisdom. In fact, I think that the way the world looks at babies shows a contrast that we can see, right? Number one, I've heard this before. Just this past week, there was, I forget, some lady that had like five kids, and there was this political pundit who said, nobody should have five kids, right? Like, and, the, and the idea here is that children are a drain on the planet's resources, Right? There's not enough resources to go around. And so if you have that many kids, you're being selfish. Right? You're being selfish. No, I want to tell you who the selfish ones are. Right? They're the ones who aren't willing to share the world's resources. <laughs> Those are the selfish people. They just, no, I need all the resources. Right? No, there's plenty of resources. Okay? There's plenty of resources. Don't buy the garbage that they tell you in your planetary environmentalism class, right, that the world is running out of oxygen, and that's all a bunch of garbage, okay? It's not true. It's based in, it's based in the socialist understanding that we'll get to in a little bit. But I just want to tell you, it's not true. There are plenty of resources. Let me put it to you another way. When Jesus is king of the earth, which it prophesies that he will be, how many trillions of people do you think are going to be on the planet? A lot. During the millennial kingdom, it says that the person who dies at 100 will be considered young. We're going to have trillions upon trillions of people living on the earth, and I'm pretty sure we're going to be colonizing other planets. That's all speculation. Okay? Don't go tell your mom, Pastor Dennis says. Okay, that's not true. Children are not a drain on the planet's resources. There's more than enough to go around, okay? There's more than enough to go around. The other way that we think about it in the world is children are like glorified pets, right? They're here to, to so you can like pet them occasionally, right? And show pictures of them, right? And like have somebody to comfort you, right? It's like they're here for you. Your child is like a little doll, you know, a really advanced doll, Right, that you get to play with when you want to. And, you know, I only need one of those. I don't need more of those, right? No, that is not the mentality. That is not the mentality when we're thinking of children. No, here's the point. You're living for your children, right? Understand, the whole kingdom paradigm is one of service, of servanthood. That's the entire thing. To be great in the kingdom is to become a greater servant, so if you're going to be like Jesus, what are you going to do? You're going to take the posture of a servant. You're going to give your life, your ambitions for your children. Oh, but I really wanted to go on cruises every single year of my life. Just die to that stupid dream, will you? Just die to it. Okay? Let me put it to you another way. If you have four kids, do you think you're going to you know, look back when little Billy is five years old, right? And you're going to be like, man, that wasn't worth it. 
Is that how you're going to think about little Billy? Right? Only if you're a terrible person. Okay? If you have a modicum of love in your heart, you're going to be like, it was worth it. Right? It was worth it. Right? All the sacrifice, all of the hardship, it was worth it. Now, hear me. I, 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 don't, I, I don't mean to say this callously because the, the, the truth is that children are very difficult. Okay? They really do require you to go to a deeper level of servant-heartedness. Okay? And look, the reality is I, uh, my wife does so much more for our kids than I do. Right? My wife is the one who is like, sleeping sometimes two to three hours a night right, with this newborn. Right? I'm getting like seven, eight hours sleep every night, okay? So let's just be clear, right? It's easy for me to be like, get kids, right? But I understand that some of us are going to have a harder time dealing with those kids. I get it. It is difficult. It is hard. And yet I, I, I'm convinced that from God's perspective, he wants us to have children. He wants it. Why? Because you have an opportunity to bring into the world a life that can live forever. You have to understand the loving nature of God. You know, he didn't have to make anybody, right? But he made us because he's overflowing with love. Does this make sense? God wants lots of children. Okay, they're a blessing. That the, you know, and this is what we see consistently in the scriptures, right? Sarah, Rebecca, Hannah all have stories where they wanted children so badly. Rebecca, that was wrong. I think it's Rachel. Now I'm confused with the R's. Lots of people in the Old Testament, right? The story, right? The story is that they want to have children, but they can't. Right? And so they're crying out to, the, to God to open their womb and to give them a child. And that child becomes a child of destiny. Why? Because the longing of the mother right, becomes an intercession that places greatness on the child. Does this make sense? Right? It is a good thing for us to long for children. It's a good thing for us to start praying for them. And it's a good thing for us to start preparing for them. Right? Why? Because why do you need to grow your character? Why is that important? Right? We think, oh, so I can be happier. And that's true. Yes, you will be happier with more mature character. But the reality is it's really for your kids. Right? Your kids need you to be mature. Your kids need you to be mature. Next slide. Children carry the dreams of their parents. You have to understand, children, our children, they're going to be the leaders of the next generation. Right? The children that we have are going to be the leaders of the next generation. The kingdom callings are generational. So you have to understand this. See, if your life is just all about you, which in our culture it almost always is, right? I want to be a doctor and make X amount of money and go on X amount of vacations a year. Everybody's dreams are so small-minded, right? But you have to understand the Lord's dreams are generational and eternal. Right? That's why when we talk about discipling nations, right, we're talking about things that are generational in nature. I need to raise up children who will be leaders in the next generation of America. I tell that to Judah, right? I tell him, you're gonna help turn America back to God. Right? He's like, he's like, wanna play Star Wars? <laughs> Gives him that blank look, right? I'm speaking destiny into him. I have a plan for Judah's life, right? I have a plan for Eden's life. Now, hear me. I'm not talking about the weird controlling plans that sometimes parents have. You know, you know, yeah, you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? I'm not talking about that, right? I'm not talking about how I can get my kid to be a moneymaker so that I can retire in old age and be taken care of. Look, I get that's not a totally evil dream, but I'm talking about one that's far greater than that, right? I'm talking about making my children, oh, that they would be ones to effectively disciple nations, right? That they would turn America back to God. They'd be sent into the nations of the world and reap many souls for eternity, right? That's my dream for my kids, and they're going to carry on my inheritance. I'm going to give them an inheritance. A inheritance for your children is primarily spiritual, it's a good thing to leave them a, a, a monetary inheritance. That's good, right? Leave some money for them when you die. But it's far more important that you leave your children a spiritual inheritance. To understand this, this is what you long for. You long for a calling. You long for a purpose. You long for a God-given mission. And the reality is your parents were supposed to help usher you into that. Now, 
let's forgive our parents and give them grace, right? Because the reality of them don't know God and their God-given mission enough for themselves, let alone to help you, lead, lead you into it. Does that make sense? But that is the design. That's how it's supposed to work. We receive the, the seeds of destiny from our parents because of the deposits of what God has spoken to them, the calling that he's given to them. You pass it on to your children, and your children carry the torch into the next generation. Does this make sense? This is how it's to work in the kingdom. We're not to have small-minded dreams of just having a lot of money and getting respect in our lifetimes. What a dumb dream. No, how about a dream that God's going to raise you up as a discipler of change agents of history? That's the dream I want. And look, if I could just be blunt, being a parent is the most impossible thing. Is impossible. I've got a slide on it. It's, do I say it here? Uh, a little bit later. Right, a little bit later, but I'll just skip over when I get there. But the reality is that you cannot hide your weaknesses from your children. Right? You can hide them. Like, I can hide them from you. Right? I just come up here and I shout at you. You're like, oh, Pastor is a pretty good pastor, right? You don't see me, right? When and during all my all my stuff that I don't put on Facebook, right? The stuff I don't put on Instagram, right? I don't show any of my weaknesses. I don't go flashing them out ever, but I have them. As does everybody. But guess what? You cannot hide your weaknesses, your character weaknesses from your children. It's impossible. Your character weaknesses are going to affect them because you pass down your inheritance. The good and the bad, right? You're going to pass it down to your children. So when you're contending for maturity, for mature character to know God, you're not just contending for yourself, you're contending for your children. Does this make sense? It's a generational inheritance that we're passing down to them. And here's the deal here. A civilization rises and falls by its righteousness. Discipling children in right morality passes wisdom to the next generation. Do you understand how this works? See, you need to take ownership of America while you're here. If you're going to live here, okay, if God calls you as a missionary to China, then take ownership of China, okay? But last I checked, y'all were living here. So if you're living here, you need to take ownership for the destiny of America. The destiny of America is your responsibility. It's not all your responsibility. You just carry one part of it, right? But the idea is that you've got to embrace your God-given responsibility for the nation. Why? Because you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. If the salt loses its saltiness, then it's only fit to be trampled. What does that mean? Can I tell you what that means? That means that if you're ineffective in making your culture righteous, then God will judge you along with the rest of the nation. That's what it means, right? That's exactly what happened to Jerusalem. That's what Jesus was telling them. You are the salt and the light of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, then it's only fit to be trampled. That trampled idea is always consistent with the judgment of foreign armies. Okay, and that's exactly what happened to Jerusalem in 80, 70, 40 years after Jesus crucified on the cross and ascended. What happens? Israel fails to repent and has a window to repent. It fails to do so. And then in 80, 70, God is the one who sends in the Roman armies and destroys Jerusalem, scatters the Jews across the known earth. What do you think is going to happen to America if we continue on our slide into immorality and unrighteousness? Judgment is going to happen. And I, I, I rebuked this mentality some weeks ago, this idea that, well, as long as it's good in my lifetime, right? As long as I get to party and have a great life and then, you know, my kids, as long as judgment comes then, what an evil mentality, right? No. How about, how about I'm going to contend to turn America back to God. I'm going to contend for righteousness in our nation so God will continue to bless us. Do you understand? He wants to do that. He wants to bless America. He wants to bless us. Why? Because it pleases his heart when we act in righteousness. When a nation walks in righteousness, it pleases the Lord's heart. You understand the righteousness of America has blessed the entire earth. That's why God has been able to entrust us with power and authority. And we've been overseeing the most peaceful, most prosperous era of human history. Why? Because of the righteousness that was found in us. But if on our watch we allow immorality 
to corrupt this entire generation of Americans, then what's going to happen? The Lord will send judgment. That's how this works, church. It's our job to turn the nation back. And that's why we're talking about family, because family is central to this whole understanding. But if you don't understand that, then you just treat your family like it's there to bless you. Oh, yeah, I want a, I want a really hot wife, and I want, you know, I want her to massage my feet every day, right? And you're thinking just everything's about how these things can, can make you a little bit happier. Without vision, you live for comfort. Without God-given vision, you live for comfort. You can't avoid it. Why? Because it's vision that allows you to restrain yourself, to discipline yourself, to deny yourself, because you see something that's more important. Without vision, it's just, you're just trying to be as happy as you can, right? But brothers and sisters, we are in a competition right now. We're in a competition with socialism, secular humanism, on who can disciple the next generation better. That's what we're in. This is the battle we're in right now. It's me versus socialism. Christ in me, right? I, I probably need to explain that, right? I'll get to it in a little bit, okay? But I'll just say this. Lots of kids plus effective discipleship equals winning the war for America. Lots of kids is part of this. Do you understand that in Europe right now, I believe Muslim immigrants to Europe have an average of about seven children per family. The average European, I think, has something like 1.3 kids or something like that, right? So what's happening? Right now, Muslims in Europe are outbreeding the native European population, right? They're immigrating in great numbers, and then they're having so many more kids. I believe France right now is something like 8% Muslim, the entire nation, right? Europe is being taken over by Islam, and they're so spiritually blind, right? They're so spiritually blind. They don't understand these spiritual things. They're like, yeah, we're just trying to be nice. You're being invaded, right? You're being invaded, and you're welcoming in the invaders because you don't understand that the ideology is what gives birth to the civilization. The ideology is the thing that undergirds the civilization because Europe has abandoned its Christian roots and now no longer understands, right, the nature of the spiritual war that we're in. Am I making sense? Now hear me. i got to be clear about this. We are called to love every Muslim. Amen? I'm not talking about hating Muslims. But I am absolutely talking about fighting, contending against every ideology that sets itself up above the knowledge of Christ. Right? That is what we are called to do. So having lots of kids and then effectively discipling them. Next slide. So how do we affect, how do we do effective discipleship? Children inherit their parents' character and wisdom. This is what I was talking about. There's no hiding from your children. Your character directly affects them. Here's the secret. Children have a deep need for close friendship with their parents. Children have a deep need for close friendship with their parents. Let me put this another way. If you win the battle to stay close friends with your children, then you are going to be able to disciple them in your ways. If you lose the battle for friendship, then they're going to find somebody else to disciple them. Does this make sense? Right? That's how this works. So you must learn how to have close friendship. Guess what? Having close friendship with a, with a two-year-old right, is different from friendship with a 20-year-old. It requires you to become like them. Guess what you need to do with your kids when they're really young? You have to play with them. They don't need your lectures. They don't understand your lectures, really. <laughs> right? But they understand mutual enjoyment. They understand when you enjoy being with them, right? That's the part that we have to learn. When we have young children, we have to learn to play with them, right? As they grow older, if the relationship, if the friendship is strong, then they'll want to take on our ideals. They'll want to, they'll want to be taught. They'll want to understand the way that we live our lives. Does it make sense, right? The tragedy, this is something that I, I never understood. It wasn't until God told me in college. I gave me a prophetic vision, and and he, and he spoke to me and he said, Dennis, my design was always that children would be close friends with their parents. 
Now, I understand this. For many of us, especially in, in our communities, we grow up with such a generational gap, right, where we can't understand or communicate effectively with our parents, right? And especially because many of our parents, let's just be real, have, have, some, have some weaknesses in their character. Right? What it does is it's easy for us to break, right? It's easy for us to break with them, to break our relationship. And then what happens is we grow up without the blessings and the inheritance of our parents. Does this make sense? And what we often develop is a rebellious spirit. So let's talk about fathers. Next slide. That's Sarah. We went and played miniature golf the other day. Okay, here's the role of fathers. Okay, um, these are all generalities. Okay, the reality is both mother and father need to play both of the roles that I'm going to be talking about. But there does tend to be a greater emphasis on one role depending on the, that parent. Okay, so you'll, you'll get what I mean. Okay, fathers have a focus on righteousness, right from wrong, right? When guys and girls, you know, are, are dating and stuff like that, what you're going to find often is that Men tend to be more concerned about what's right versus what's wrong, and women tend to be more concerned about what's healthy for the relationship, right? What brings us closer in our relationship versus what doesn't, okay? Again, these are generalities, right? But fathers are concerned about right and wrong, and that's a, that's a, that's a good thing, right? Fathers provide purpose and direction. When you grow up without a close father figure, almost always you have, you have no sense of purpose in your life. You don't know what to do with your life, right? Why? Because you didn't have a father putting a mandate on your life saying, this, this is the dream that I have for you. This is the calling, right? This is what I long for you. And again, the, the nature of good fatherhood is not a controlling vision, right? It's not like you're going to be a doctor whether you want to be or not. That's not what I'm talking about, Right? Talking about a spiritual calling that's imparted. The heart of the father is imparted. And the son or the daughter takes on the heart of that father. And it can manifest in a lot of different ways. But you have to understand, I don't care if Judah is a doctor or a lawyer or whatever. Right? What I care is that he inherits my DNA, my ideals, my passions, my desires. And look, the reality is it's the same for your parents for the most part. You just have to understand the root that's behind it, right? When your parent goes, you will be a lawyer, right? You will be a doctor. Well, really what they're, what they're saying is they want you to be excellent, right, and be wise and have, you know, make decisions that will be economically fruitful, right? It's really not usually about doctor-lawyer. It's, it's about picking a profession that they think is going to be able to, be, to make a lot of money, right? Because here's the reality. Look, when you're older, everybody works hard. When you're older, everybody works hard. The difference is that those with vision and discipline when they're young are able to, to make much more money and be more fruitful in their work than people who don't. Does this make sense? Right? So if you have vision and direction now, well, then you have a lot more options, and you can do the same hours of work but be paid a lot more. Does that make sense? That's pretty easy to understand. That's usually your parents' desire. They want you to be blessed. They want you to be able to work, right, for 40 hours a week and make X amount of money, then work those same 40 hours a week and, and make like one-tenth of that, right? That's usually the heart of our parents, right, for those of us who are more Asian, right? Okay, the heart is right, but I understand sometimes it can get really controlling, okay? We have to understand this is the heart of the father. The father feels a responsibility, right, to guide and direct their child. And look, if you're, you know, like me, I struggled with this because I felt very directionless, felt very visionless in my life, and I really wrestled with that. Right, and um, you know, I, I, I tell the story when I was when I was younger. I was always afraid of being around older men because I was not close friends with my father. Right, my father was always there, and he really did try and love me as well as he knew how. Okay, but the reality is he didn't know how to have a close relationship with me. So I always was afraid around older men who were like my dad. It's really weird, right? But this is, this is, you know, some of the things that we're going to talk about later about how we have to get healed from these things. Okay, the father is concerned with protecting the family. Right? The father emphasizes discipline. Why? Because calling and discipline are tied. Guess what? You can, have, you can have all the vision in the world, but without discipline, you'll never get there. Right? You, it, takes, it takes vision plus discipline to get to calling. So the father is concerned with both of those things. Right? The father is, you must be disciplined. You can't just play video games for 10 hours a day. Why? Because you have a calling on your life. And if you just do whatever feels good to you, you'll never get there. 
Does this make sense? And all of us, guess what? All of us long for that. Right? We want that father figure right, who believes in us and who challenges us and say, hey, it's not okay to just you know, go on Facebook and Snapchat for 20 hours a day. That's not okay. Why? Because I believe in you. Right? I believe in you. I want something for you that's better than that. All of us have that natural longing for that. Right? Why? Because that's the heart of your heavenly father. And it was supposed to be communicated by your human father. But if it wasn't, I have good news for you. There's healing available. Okay? This is the news. We're going to get to that in just a little bit. Okay? Understand this. Fathers crave respect. This is the, this is the thing that, that, you know, oftentimes we don't understand about the other gender. Men crave respect. Okay? Not so much affection. When we get to women, women crave affection. Right? Men crave respect. A lot of times men, they're like, what's the difference between them? Right? But for women, oftentimes that, that difference is very obvious. Right? If you want to win a man's heart, what do you do? You give him tons of respect. Okay. You want to win a woman's heart, what do you do? You give her tons of affection. Make sense? Mothers. Like, like I said earlier, mothers focus on healthy relationships. Right? See, that's a good, that's a good picture, right, babe? <laughs> Could have found one that's better. Right? They're focused on the relationships. They, they, want, they want close relationships. Right? That's their concern, right? You can be doing everything right, but if she says distance in the relationship, right, she's going to be, she's like, no, come on. She, she, wants, she longs for that closeness of relationship, right? The mother heart is to provide comfort and compassion, right? Where the father's, you know, primarily calling, you know, calling and mission, you know, the mother heart is, is comfort and compassion, right? Where the fathers are concerned about protecting the family for the most part, mothers are concerned with nurturing the family, right? Mothers emphasize grace rather than discipline, right? And like I said, mothers crave affection rather than respect. Does this make sense, some of the differences? Guess what? You need both. You need both. God is both of these things. God is both. He exhibits both characteristics, right? He's like a heavenly mother, and he's like a heavenly father, because guess what? All of our hearts need both things. And here's the truth. In whatever way that our earthly parents could not provide the perfect version of this, your heavenly father wants to provide it for you. That's his promise that he is the great provider. That he can guide you in your life. And he can, he can give you everything that you didn't have from your earthly parents. Does this make sense? Okay. Let's go to the next part. The generational gap. When adults fail, and we all do to a degree, guess what? There are no perfect parents. They don't exist. They have all failed to some degree. To the degree they fail, there's that generational gap when they lose the bond of friendship with their children. This is why the Bible talks about in Malachi 4, he says how God's going to send the spirit of Elijah before the coming of Jesus, which turns the hearts of the fathers to the children, the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest they come and strike a land with a degree of utter destruction. What's the idea here? What happens when children are open to their parents, they love and they respect their elders, then there's a transfer of generational wisdom and blessing. Okay. But both sides can break that. Children can, say, can give into a spirit of rebellion and say, no, I don't care, I don't need any of that stuff. Right? They don't know any better. And parents, what they can do is they can turn their hearts away from their children. And they can live for themselves and not prioritize and value their children and learn to serve them and prioritize them in their lives. And when this happens, there's a generational break, a generational gap. That's what we're describing in the 1960s. That happened in a major way in America. Okay? Youth must honor elders, and elders must disciple youth. Today, we're in a situation where because there's such a great generational gap, the primary di discipling that's going on in America today is through the schools and through entertainment. Right? It's a lot of peer discipleship in America today. It's like all my friends on Facebook think this, so yeah, that's what I think. What does your parent think about that? I don't care, right? That's the majority. That's by the time they get, you know, it's like junior high school. That's like every kid, right? Every kid's like, I don't care what my parent thinks. I just care what all my friends think. They're literally being discipled by their idiot junior high friends. Why? Because of the generational gap that's become prevalent in our nation today, right? Again, for those of us who are Asian, we tend to have a stronger generational bond than other cultures, 
right? That's just the way it, it's, it's happened right now in America. But we'll talk more about school and entertainment when we get there, and I will rail on those things so hard. We have to understand this. The other aspect of this is the government. Socialism, I, I want to go into it a lot. There's zero time to go into socialism today, okay? I'm posting on it on Facebook because it's really important for us to understand how, how socialism is demonic, okay? I'm just going to put that right out there. It's demonic. It's evil. It almost destroyed the world in the 20th century. Nazism, that's national socialism. Communism, that's socialism. Okay, what we're dealing with today on the progressive side of the aisle is socialism. It's kind of like a socialism light because they're trying to, they're trying to make you go, ooh, socialism is not that bad, right? But it is. It's demonic and it's evil. And part of the process here is what happens under a socialist system is the government takes the place of the parents. You know, the left is always trying to pass legislation to get the schools to teach my kids things that I don't want them to learn. That drives me crazy. Why? Because they think the government can play a better role of discipling children than, than most parents can. Right? It's a dishonor for the role of parents in the family. What socialism does, I'll just go on it for a little bit, okay? It appeals to the unhealed wounds in your heart. Right? The ways that your parents failed you, guess what? There's unhealed wounds in your heart. And what the voice of socialism does, you're amazing. Right? And they've failed you. Those oppressors, right? They've victimized you, right? They've oppressed you and exploited you, right? And that's why we need to take their money. We need to take their money and give you free college tuition. How does that sound? And you're like, yeah, they've been oppressing me. Yeah, I deserve that tuition. No, you don't. You don't deserve free tuition. You know, somebody's paying for that. Why do you deserve to have it? Because they're oppressors. How have they oppressed you? They did. <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's, it's envy and jealousy. It nurtures a spirit of envy and jealousy that connects with the unhealed wounds in us. Right? That's why people connect with the socialist message. Yeah, those oppressors. Who are the oppressors exactly? Who are the people that literally did this? Those rich Republicans. Those are the oppressors. There's no individual person. It's the class of them. Does that make sense? It's this nebulous class of oppressors and exploiters. Anyways, we'll, we'll get more into that when we get into politics. I will destroy socialism. I will break its back in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, but we have to understand this is the way this attack works. Children are the primary targets in our culture today. Why? Because they don't know how to defend themselves, kids. Right? You can break them, literally, right? You can drop kick a kid and he won't be able to fight you back. But you can also drop kick him emotionally. Right? You can go to a kid and you can do things, you can manipulate him emotionally and he won't be able to resist you. Right? You can say, hey, kid, you're stupid. And the kid doesn't know that he's not. So he'll believe you. Does this make sense? Right? Children are vulnerable, and the enemy is targeting them in our culture. Right? The enemy is targeting them. And you have to understand how this works here. Okay? When you get hurt as a child, and guess what? Every child gets hurt. What you naturally do is you start to develop heart walls. The way this works is that an emotional wound is just like a physical wound in many ways. Right? If I take a sword and stab you, right, and then we just pull it out and we just all go about our business, what's going to happen? That wound is going to get infected. That wound is going to get infected and like, oh, man, and then you got to cut off the arm, right? That's if you don't clean and treat the wound correctly. Am I making sense? It's important that we clean and treat the wounds correctly. If we do not clean and treat emotional wounds, what they become is debilitating fears in our lives. Okay? At the root of all of our irrational fears are some emotional wound from our past. Okay? That's why the enemy is trying to hurt children. Why? Because they're defenseless. They don't know how to, they don't know how to avoid it. They don't know how to stop that emotional wound. So he's trying really hard to hurt them. And traumatic events create lifelong fears. Okay, here are the symptoms of emotional wounds, unhealed wounds in our hearts. Irritability. A lack of grace. We don't know how to give ourselves grace or give others grace. Wild emotions, right? Our emotions, I'm like, ha and then I'm like so depressed and I'm so sad, right? They're just all over the place, right? Difficulty feeling loved, right? No matter how many times my friend tells me that she loves me, right? It just 
ding, it just bounces right off. She hates me, I know it. Right? <laughs> anger, right? Just anger all the time. Self-hatred, perfectionism, escapism. That's what video games is for the most part. When you're addicted to video games, it's escapism. Okay? Drivenness, this need to prove oneself. I got to prove myself to who? Someone. <laughs> right? Especially in our age, we're talking about a lot of sexual attacks towards young people. Okay? I say this all the time, but sex outside of marriage is forbidden because it results in unwanted children. Right? That's why it's forbidden. That's why God says you cannot have sex with everyone that you want to have sex with. Why? Because then what's going to happen is there's going to be a lot of unwanted children. You don't want those kids. Right? And this is, where a lot of, this is the lie that goes forth in our generation. Well, if you just use contraception... Right, then you're okay. Actually not, says the New York Times. Over a 10-year period, if you're sexually active and you use condoms, there's an 86% chance that you will get pregnant. If you're on the pill, but you're sexually active over a 10-year period, there's a 61% chance that you will get pregnant. Why? Because on a one-time use basis, if you have sex once with a condom, the chances are very low that you're going to get pregnant. But if you continue to do it, what are you doing? You're rolling those dice. You just keep rolling those dice, right? It's never going to come up snake eyes until it does. And then what happens? You have the choice to abort your child. And even though we have 700,000 abortions every single year in America, we still have so many unwanted children, children that their parents never wanted. They wanted the sex. They did not want the kids. That's why God demands sexual purity. When you're, having, when you're having sex outside of marriage, let me tell you what you're being. You're being selfish with your children's lives. That's what you're doing. You're being irresponsible to your children. That's who you're sinning against. You're sinning against your own body, but you're also sinning against your children. Pornography. Today, the average age of exposure is 11 years old. One out of five teenagers today are solicited for sex online. Two-thirds of high school girls are pressured for nude photos. I will dropkick the high school kid that tries to get nude photos out of my kids. Lord, give me patience. But see, this is the problem. Pornography has become prevalent in our culture. And what pornography does is it warps your mind to think, oh, yeah, all these people sexually want me. No, they don't. Right? When you disciple yourself in it, and look, a lot of people watch all the pornography they want. They watch it all the time. You don't think that's having any influence on the way they think about the opposite sex? Of course it is. Of course it is. That's why there's all these people today that have the delusion Right? That, no, they want me to sexually abuse them. No, you're demented is the problem. Okay? You're demented. But this dementia is flowing through the internet today and is influencing millions of American children. That's how this works. Right? It's why sexual abuse is up so far. One out of five girls are sexually abused in our culture today. One out of five. One out of 20 boys are sexually abused today. Okay, One out of four people are abused in some type of fashion, whether it be physical, sexual, emotional, or negligence. Right? Many of us have lived through the trauma of some type of abuse. And what it does is it instills a deep-seated sense of shame, a sense of self-hatred often. Right? When we struggle with self-hatred often, there's some type of abuse that's behind it. Often what you see is increased promiscuity. Why? Because our sexual boundaries on the inside have been broken by another person. They've been forced open and they've been broken. Does this make sense? We need healing in our nation, right? Physical abuse, one out of 14 children. They suffer from depression, low self-esteem, violent tendencies, right? Abuse has become rampant in our culture. But brothers and sisters, I have good news, and that is that Jesus is the healer. He really is. He's the one who heals all of these things. None of these things are impossible for Jesus to heal. This is what he does. He heals abuse. He heals what other people have done to us. So I have good news for you. If you have been abused, if you have been wronged, if you have been neglected, if you have been abandoned, the good news is that Jesus is the one who offers himself as the healer and the provider in your life. And this is the source of our hope. 
This is the hope that we have. Here's what I say. Everyone should seek inner healing. Everyone. There ain't nobody that don't need it, right? Oh, no, I did that once five years ago, and now I'm good. That's not how this works, okay? The reality is we are like onions. We have layers of emotional, of emotional issues, okay? And God takes you in layers. So you go through round one of inner healing, and then you go through round two, and you go deeper and deeper. So here's the thing. None of us should have a stigma about seeking inner healing, okay? I want God to continue healing me all my life. And this is how we do it. This is how we do it. Well, first of all, let me say this. Unhealed wounds kill our ability to have long-term intimacy, right? I made this point a couple weeks ago, right? If you have a bunch of failed relationships, the problem might be you, right? The problem might be you, okay? All of us, if, we, if, if you have struggle, if you struggle in your friendships, right? The problem might be you, right? A healthy, mature person brings healing to everyone around him or her because love covers a multitude of sins, right? When you're healthy and mature, you can have intimate relationships with other people. Sometimes those people hate you. Be like, I love them. Amen. Practicing love with family and friends is how we grow into maturity. Okay, practicing these things that we're going to talk about. Okay, so step number one, how do we get healed? Because this is how you have lots of kids and you have close friendships with them and you disciple them to disciple the nations. How do you do it? Step one, be honest with yourself. Be honest with yourself. It starts with that. Who do you hate or blame for what's going on in your life? You, and you also need to put a tack on this. Oftentimes, part of our hatred and blame is going to be towards ourself, and part of it is going to be towards God. Okay. Number two, what things were done to you that you can't let go of? What are those things? Those are the areas that need healing in your life. Number three, what things do you deeply regret doing? What things do you feel excessive shame about? These are the things that need healing in your lives. I want to encourage you. Spend a little bit of time. Worship team, come on up right now. Right now, I just want us to close our eyes. Holy Spirit, I'm asking, would you bring revelation even now of places in our hearts that need healing, oh God? Even now, Holy Spirit, bring revelation in our hearts of places that need healing. I want to encourage you as we, as we pray and as we talk here, and the Lord's bringing something up in your heart, I want to encourage you to write it down. If you have a cell phone, it's okay. Pull out your cell phone. Don't text. Don't go on Facebook. Just open up your notepad or something and write it down. Because God wants to bring healing to these areas of our hearts. Okay? Step number one, honesty with yourself. Step number two is this. Recognize that God is not to blame. Okay? God is not at fault. He did not predestined that person to abuse you, okay? God is not at fault here, but he is the hope for healing. He loves you just as you are, and he wants to bring restoration in your heart. He's the one who can help you. So repent of any accusation or judgment against the Lord. This is really important. This is one that keeps so many people in bondage. Invite his help. Step number three, this is the one we have, you have to do. You need to make the decision to forgive those who have wronged you, okay? This is the key step in, inner, in any process of inner healing. You must choose to forgive. You have control over your will, okay? You may not be able to control your emotions, meaning you may feel anger and resentment at somebody who wronged you deeply, but you have the choice to forgive them with your will. And here's the truth. If we're in Christ, Jesus has forgiven all of our sins. So he commands us to forgive those who have wronged us. Why? So that he can heal us. That's why. He wants to bring healing. The truth is that unforgiveness is a prison for you. It's the thing that's holding you in bondage. Guess what? It's not bothering the other person. The person who wronged you is not living in fear every day of your unforgiveness. Your unforgiveness, the only one it's hurting is you. And know this, it's not what was done to us that keeps us in bondage. Hear me, this is important. It's not what was done to us. 
That's not the thing keeping us in bondage. It's how we've reacted to it. You can go through the worst type of trauma and abuse, but if you react in the right way, you can be completely free. And conversely, you can go through a very small abuse, but if you hold on to unforgiveness and bitterness, you refuse to let it go, it will become a prison to you all of your days. So from my heart, hear me, church, oh, that you would make the choice to forgive. Look, I've been wronged in many ways in my life, but I thank God that he taught me this principle long ago. He convicted my heart of it. Ever since then, I have been ruthless. I will not hold on to any unforgiveness. I am going to forgive everyone with God's help because I know that it's the path to freedom. Step number four. Repent for any wrong that you may have committed. Look, in a lot of situations, there's an aspect where we might have done something wrong or unwise. Now, with the nature of abuse, what the enemy tries to do is he tries to take you to accept full responsibility for that of the abuser. And that you're not to do, okay? But sometimes our own hearts understand that there was something that we did wrong in this, right? Whether it was, you know, maybe we went to that person's apartment, you know, at a time we shouldn't have gone there, right? Maybe we said something that we really shouldn't have said that brought a major backlash. I'm not excusing the sin of the person who wronged you in a great way. All I'm asking is that you take responsibility for whatever part you played, even though it might be a small part. This is part of the path to freedom, okay? God wants to bring us to, to full freedom, but something that happens is oftentimes when we become consumed by the wrongs that have been committed against us, we're not willing to even consider any, any part that we might have played in that. We're just so filled with hatred and blame for the other. I want to encourage you right now, just ask the Holy Spirit, is there anything that I did wrong in this? What we're going to do right now is we're just going to go into a time of worship. I want to invite you, if you want prayer, you can just come up to the front. If you know that you, you've got something you need healing for, I want to invite you to come up to the front. We want to lay hands and we want to ask that God would bring complete healing of your life. I want to give you hope. This is what God does. He is the healer. We obey his word. We trust him. And he brings healing and restoration to our hearts. So right now, let's just stand up. We're going to sing. And if you want prayer, I want to invite you to just come up to the front. And we will gladly pray for you and ask the Lord to bring complete healing in your heart.